For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. These words from Paul in our epistle lesson are really powerful. Uh, And before we go any farther, also implicitly include sisters, just so you don't feel excluded. Uh, We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. That's a powerful uh, thing to know in a world that so often makes us feel unknown, unimportant, mere bystanders uh, to important things that are going on, a face in the crowd, or maybe less than that, just a number in a column of figures. Paul says... I know God has chosen you. God not only knows you, he chose you. It's easy to take for granted uh, in spite of, of how amazing it is, just because God says amazing things in Scripture all the time. We can kind of be desensitized to it. But if we fully appreciated these words, we'd either be shocked or thrilled. I would think. Uh, Thrilled because it's such an awesome honor uh, to be chosen by God, uh, singled out by Him for an important purpose. And what an encouragement it is uh, to know that your work is not meaningless, your work is not in vain, uh, but you have been called and chosen uh, for a purpose by the creator of the universe himself, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has named you as a member of his cabinet. That's awesome. That's so awesome that if we do really digest it, we may actually find ourselves struggling to accept it. And they say, can that even be true? Me? Some kid from Dunellen or wherever you may be from, that God would choose me? What have I done? Who am I? How do I know that God has chosen you? Well, how did Paul know that God had chosen the Thessalonians? Was it because of who they were or what they'd done? Uh, It may seem uh, that way a little bit. Paul does uh, praise them for what they've done. We give thanks to God always for all of you, he says, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God, our Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Makes them sound kind of like rock stars, right? Faith, hope, and love. They're all three there if you notice it. Uh, that their work, their labor, their steadfastness is obviously significant and commendable. He goes on to describe how this has played out uh, to the result that uh, the word of the Thessalonians, faith, hope, and love, has spread faster than Paul, Silas, and Timothy are journeying Uh, That when they find, they come to a new place, they find the story of the Thessalonians has beaten them there. And the people are telling them about how the Thessalonians 
responded, how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Uh, The life of faith in the the new church in Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonica was uh, uh, immediately blossomed in true repentance, turning away from idolatry, uh, rejecting uh, the ways of the world, uh, and becoming aliens to the world as a result, fearlessly uh, rejecting what everyone else around them accepted and turning instead to serve the living and true God, uh, to produce the fruit of repentance, the faith, hope, and love that we already discussed, and to wait for his Son from heaven, one of the under-recognized and really significant aspects of the Christian life uh, that is highlighted in Revelation, how the uh, call of the church is, Come, Lord Jesus! Uh, hope and expectation uh, for uh, the, uh, Christ's coming. Is this how Paul knows that God has chosen them? Well, Scripture does say you, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Uh, but Paul, in this context, doesn't express his confidence in them on the basis of their response, but for a very different reason. He says, We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction. Paul knew The Thessalonians were chosen because he heard God call them through the gospel he himself had proclaimed to them. Because this is what the gospel is. It is God's call. The announcement and proclamation that God has made you his own through the sacrifice of Christ. God has claimed you as his child and brought you into his family, reconciled you to himself, not letting your sin stand against you before him, having canceled it out that you can be with him. This is how Luther describes the significance of the third article of the Apostles' Creed in his small catechism. Uh, that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in my Lord Jesus Christ or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. It is by the gospel coming to you that God has chosen you, displayed that he has chosen you. And it's because the Thessalonians were called by the gospel and empowered by the Holy Spirit with full conviction that they were able to turn from idols and serve the true and living God and to await his Son from heaven, not idly, but producing the fruit of faith, hope, and love. 
on the fruitfulness of the Thessalonians. Uh, It was a manifestation of the reality that God had chosen them through the gospel. It's a more general manifestation of the specific calling we see illustrated in our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah. Uh, Thessalonians is kind of a a broad, abstract group, and it can be helpful to put a face uh, on something like this, uh, which is uh, helpfully provided uh, in Isaiah with the depiction of the, the calling of Cyrus. Uh, It's worth unpacking that uh, more so so that we can kind of identify that individual example. And because it highlights how several streams of the Old Testament uh, come together in this, showing God's very intentional plan for those whom he chooses and calls. The uh, history uh, books tell us that Cyrus the Great... Uh, inherited the kingdom of Persia from his father in the year 559 B.C. And after uh, consolidating power within his kingdom, I'll make sure everything uh, was running smoothly, in 550, he annexed the nearby kingdom of Media, in which his mother had been born, uh, by conquering his grandfather, uh, Astyages, without a battle, uh, when Astyages' general defected to Cyrus's side with all his troops. You have to imagine that conquering your granddad would make for awkward Thanksgiving dinner uh, for a while. Um, but uh, he uh, smoothed it out eventually, and in 546 continued his expansion uh, by uh, conquering uh, the uh, Lydian king Croesus, who's legendary for his fantastic wealth, expanding uh, beyond modern-day Iran into modern-day Turkey. And his logical next target was Babylon. At this point, Babylon had greatly weakened from its former greatness. And Nabonidus, king of Babylon, uh, was very unpopular. Uh, He'd taken a permanent vacation or voluntary exile, depending on your perspective. Uh, in which he had not been seen in the the capital for over a decade, uh, leaving the reins of state in the hands of his son Belshazzar, who had let the reins get very slack uh, due to his preference for partying. In fact, he was busy feasting on a lavish banquet for all his nobles when Cyrus marched in and took the city again without a battle. Are you noticing a theme here? Well, as God said, Cyrus, it is I who give you these things, not your might. And as Cyrus marches into town, a vision, a a manifestation of the fingers of a human hand appears and writes on the wall of Belshazzar's banquet hall, Many, many tekel of harson. You've been fa- weighed in the balance and found wanting. Your kingdom will be given to the Medes and the Persians. Another connection uh, in the story. Osiris thus becomes emperor effectively over all the Near East. 
uh, placing Darius the Mede as king under him over Babylon. And uh, you would think that's an accomplishment on account of which uh, you could be pretty proud of yourself. Uh, You might think that Cyrus had kind of arrived at this point. Uh, But the truth is, this was all preparatory, setting the stage for the really cool and really important part that would become his life's work. As you may have recognized, the story of the writing on the wall uh, comes from the book of Daniel. And among the residents of Babylon at this time, under the dominion of the new king, was uh, a man who was not Babylonian, uh, but Jewish, a man named Daniel, who we read in chapter 9, fairly immediately recognized Uh, the significance of these events. In Daniel chapter 9, we read, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. The passage uh, Daniel is referring to from the prophet Jeremiah uh, comes from Jeremiah chapter 25, where Jeremiah had written, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord. So Jeremiah, not Jeremiah, Daniel, reads the book of Jeremiah here and does some quick math on his fingers and says, wait a minute, it's been about 70 years since this was written. And Babylon has just fallen as the prophet Jeremiah, through the Holy Spirit, prophesied. And most likely he does more than uh, just uh, seek the Lord in prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Uh, He most likely would have actually taken to King Cyrus... That other passage from our Old Testament lesson, Isaiah 45. And we actually, in our our reading, missed kind of the, I think, some of the best parts of it, uh, where God doesn't just assert to Cyrus, hey, I'm the one who gave you the victory in these battles, so you didn't even need to fight. He also points out what his plan for Cyrus is. Uh, Just before the reading at the end of chapter 44, uh, the Lord says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Then later on in chapter 45, a few verses after our reading, he circles back to the theme God says, I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. 200 years before Cyrus was born, 
give or take. God prophesied through Isaiah uh, that Cyrus would be the one uh, to free his people from exile, which they hadn't been brought into yet, to rebuild Jerusalem, which hadn't been destroyed yet. And according to the uh, first century historian Josephus, uh, when Cyrus read this and admired the divine power and earnest desire and ambition seized upon him to fulfill what was so written. And so Cyrus performed what truly was his life's work as he immediately sent out the edict that the Jews should be allowed to return to their homeland. And not only that, but that they should be fully funded for the rebuilding of their land and the temple and that the articles from the temple of silver and gold should be restored, which we read about in Ezra chapter 6. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and uh, let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits and its breadth 60 cubits with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. One thing this all highlights is that the Bible is historical. It's talking about the historical Emperor Cyrus, and it all goes together in describing the events in Ezra, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, uh, highlighting that this is taking place in history. Real events documented that led to God's saving works in the actual lives of real people. Uh, It's also highlighting that this takes place through God's intentional plan and calling of people. Cyrus, very overtly, uh, who's named, hey, Cyrus, this is what you're going to do. But before that, leading up to that, Daniel had his role to play. Jeremiah had his role to play. Isaiah had his role to play. Chosen and called by God to be the messengers uh, to make this happen. You may say, well, that's all well and good, Pastor, but I'm not Jeremiah. I'm not Isaiah. I'm not Daniel. I'm sure as heck not Cyrus. I'm not a prophet or an emperor. My name isn't in Scripture. It doesn't say somewhere that I have called you, Bob, and you will... fix broken plumbing in, for my name. Uh, it, you know, I, I don't see how I relate to this. That's where we come back to the epistle lesson, which shows that the case of, of Cyrus, the case of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel are, are not unique. In, in some ways, they're, they're you know, 
you could say more special in that they serve as an example uh, for the, in the biblical narrative of God's saving work. But the Thessalonians weren't emperors. The Thessalonians weren't great prophets. They weren't named specifically by name in Scripture. But that didn't stop Paul from asserting they too had been chosen. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. And the same God who chose Cyrus doesn't just choose a few special people for big things. It didn't stop Paul from highlighting and recognizing the significance of their faith, hope, and love and the testimony that it gave to lift up the whole church. The Thessalonians and their mission wasn't specifically prophesied in Scripture, but they were foreknown by God and called according to his purposes, just as much as Cyrus, Daniel, Jeremiah, or Isaiah. And so are you. What was true of Cyrus was also true of the much lesser-known Thessalonians, and what is true of the lesser-known Thessalonians is true of the lesser-known Ramorians and Beltonians and Lysimachians as well. That I know, brothers, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because he has called you by the gospel. Because the gospel has been proclaimed in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. I know you have been singled out for the greatest honor. And that honor is not to just sit around doing nothing, but to do great things in God's name for the building up of the church. That's why I always remember and praise God for the work of the Bethlehem LWML, the seasoned saints, the worship committee, the ushers in the altar guild, and all the members of Bethlehem, whose faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope is a beautiful and powerful testimony and blessing to the church of God today. And I give thanks uh, for the uh, repentance and turning away from idols, and uh, serving the living God, in hopeful, eager expectation and anticipation of Christ's return. And most of all, I give thanks to God because these fruits do not come from ourselves, but because you have been chosen by God. And sometimes the world makes us feel unknown, unimportant, irrelevant. But you have been chosen by God, called by him to do the good works that he has prepared beforehand for you to do, which may or may not be uh, sharing the, the gift of prophecy or rebuilding a temple. Uh, It may be uh, fixing broken plumbing, which can make a big difference in someone's life as well. But God has called you uh, to be a husband or a wife, 
a mom or a dad, a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister. He's given you gifts and talents uh, to use for the building up of the church, uh, for uh, providing for your neighbor, which he can use in mighty ways. Even if the world doesn't view them as mighty or powerful or significant, are important to God. And if it's important to God, I don't know how much more important it can be. That God set apart you to do that is proof of its importance. And demonstrates again uh, the uh, wonderful power of God uh, to provide for all things in this uh, immeasurably complex world. It is he who is ultimately behind them. And it is he who receives glory uh, for all the work we do as we rejoice in that work and the opportunity uh, to serve him uh, who has given us this great and wonderful blessing and privilege. And may that peace that is beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until the day of his glorious return. Amen.